Hey everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, and man does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do in these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host for these podcasts. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, this will be a first for this podcast, but I think it'll you'll find this. It'll fit, uh, I think, neatly into the vision of this podcast ministry of bringing courage and perspective when serving gets hard. I have the privilege today to discuss a portion of the Bible called the Beatitudes with an author who wrote a book about it. And it's a great book. I got my hands on it some time ago and contacted the author and said, hey, uh, this was phenomenal. I think there's this is a uh, an approach that is very helpful, should be helpful to the church, to the pastor. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But his name is Pastor John Fogel, and his book is called Living the Beatitudes. And I love this conversation that we had together because we both agree that the Beatitudes offers to us, offers to the church, a beautiful template for discipleship. In fact, I have found uh, some time ago using the Beatitudes in counseling people encouraging people to read through the Beatitudes, and then as we interact together, we look at each one and and uh, talk about uh, how they are phenomenal blessings that are given to us through Christ. Uh, well, anyway, we're going to be talking about that together here in just a moment. John Fogel is a retired pastor uh, with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He also served as a district superintendent for a number of years and uh, he is uh, uh, just a, a, a great uh, conversationalist and uh, has a, a sharp mind and just a very enjoyable spirit about him. Uh, he's really not retired because he spends a lot of time writing and also coaching other pastors. As you listen to this, I know you'll feel as though you are joining two men having coffee together discussing the Bible. And uh, again, this is another thing that's a first for me and not something I probably won't do again, but it was interesting timing. This was not even planned, but it turned out that the week that I interviewed John uh, for this podcast, I also happened to be completing a two-week miniseries that uh, I was preaching uh, on the Beatitudes at a uh, small Presbyterian church in Franklin, North Carolina. So I'm going to be linking that to the website so you can... Uh, certainly go there and and listen to those sermons if you want to. Uh, enjoy this. Uh, let's go ahead and join our conversation here with John Fogel. All right, I have the privilege here to be speaking to an author and a pastor and a forma, formal uh, district superintendent. John Fogel, how are you today? I'm just fine, Mitch. Thank you for yeah. this privilege. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time. We've actually had a hard time getting together. We've had, each of us have had, uh, I haven't kept score. I think I, I have interrupted our plans more often than you, uh, but I'm glad that we finally did this. Uh, tell us where, where you are and um, just a little bit about what you've done through your, your career and your ministry. Well, my wife and I are living in Fort Wayne, Indiana now. I grew up in the eastern part of Pennsylvania. Uh, came to know the Lord when I was eight years old, grew up in a Christian home, and very grateful for that kind of uh, heritage. Went mm-hmm. on to Bible college and uh, pastored in four different places, 
and then was elected as a district superintendent. And when I was finished uh, that tenure, uh, I got into a ministry of helping churches become healthier and a kind of a coaching relationship with pastors and church leaders. And uh, uh, there's a whole story of how... Yeah, and you're... Uh, you're... Yeah, your first wife passed away as well. Is that correct? And that's correct. And uh, my uh, second wife and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. We wonderful. Ne- never thought we'd get there. We actually started celebrating month anniversaries rather than anniversaries. <laughs> uh, God's been good. Uh, yeah, and, well, uh, we're very, very grateful. Yeah, <clears throat> that's one of the reasons we rescheduled because you were traveling on your anniversary. And I thought, good, good, uh, right. good reason, great reason. Well, we, we <laughs> could, uh, and I, I, I would love to circle back and, and I think there's two significant conversations you and I could have in a, another podcast. One is, is the whole, uh, idea of coaching and, and developing churches and, uh, you know, particularly for someone who's done this and in retirement in the second career, whatever way you'd want to describe it, what that's like, why that's needed. Uh, but also, uh, you know, people in ministry are increasingly finding, uh, you know, challenges and difficulties and loss. And I, I think uh, the one or two conversations I've had with people where a spouse has died has been, uh, really some of the most, uh, well listened to podcast, so I'd like to circle back. But what, what I'd like to talk about with you today is uh, really it, it revolves around a book that you wrote. Uh, it's called Living the Beatitudes. And the way I want to make this fit the vision of this podcast, which is to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, is really to encourage the pastor, church leaders, those who love the church, that's my audience, uh, is to really uh, grasp again the beauty of the Beatitudes. And uh, I, I ran into this book by reading an article. Uh, I love the article, which was a summary of this book. And I bought the book. I, uh, I, I read it and just was really excited about it. So uh, tell us, why did, you, why did you write the book? What was your hopeful outcome from, from writing this? Well, it really started back in the uh, early 1970s. I had just been called to pastor, and I I think I was the fourth pastor of the uh, Alliance Church in Fulton, New York. And I was asking God to give me something of a framework for what he wanted to do in this next uh, part of the history of that church. Hmm. And, And I... I found myself preaching a series of messages on the Beatitudes. And that series had a profound impact on my life and my understanding of the Christian life. And it also had an impact on what I would call the movers and shakers in that church. And uh, actually ended up preaching uh, a series of messages on the Beatitudes two more times. Well, in the 10 and a half years that I was there, um, God was blessing, the church was growing, not a lot of new people. But I think the second and third time, I was at a deeper level uh, in my understanding of yeah. the of the Beatitudes. Uh, then I was elected district superintendent, and for 18 years, uh, the attitudes was there, always in the background, uh, 
but I wasn't, uh, you know, teaching the Beatitudes like I was when I was in the pastorate and God gave me opportunities to speak in other places and we used it in small group settings, uh, Sunday school classes. But uh, now all of these years as superintendent, uh, it was kind of dormant. But then I started into a ministry of helping churches become healthier, I guess is the simplest way to say it. And I learned a lot about what a healthy church looked like. And Mm. I, uh, I wrote a lot about that, but I, I came to realize that, uh, just like our bodies, physical bodies, Uh, We're not healthy physically if there's a part of our body that is full of disease. Mm -hmm. And so in the church, as the the body of Christ, it's not healthy, and you can't sustain church health if individual members in that church are uh, not spiritually healthy. Hmm. So I began to think, what does a, a, a spiritually healthy individual look like? And all of a sudden it dawned on me that everything that uh, I was learning about the Beatitudes, that's what a healthy believer looks like. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And God's purpose. Go ahead. Yeah, the the measurables of discipleship. You know how do you how do you measure the effectiveness of discipleship? You you can look at each of the Beatitudes and and mark it that way, can't you? Yes, you can. And God's purpose is that we be conformed to the image of his son. And uh, often that idea of image is very nebulous and vague. Mm -hmm. And I think the Beatitudes give us some concrete terms and concepts to help us understand uh, what Christlikeness is all about. Yeah, yeah. So in teaching the Beatitudes, whether to a new believer or to a group of elders uh, that would be at a different level, but you're, uh, you know, you're joining God when you help people uh, understand the Beatitudes and live the Beatitudes. The title of my book is not learning the Beatitudes, it's living the Beatitudes. Well, in, in and you, so you, in, in your, in your narrative of, of how you, you journeyed through this, uh, it, it, it was interesting to me, you started talking about, you taught it. Uh, and then when you, when you served as a district superintendent, it, it sounded like you were, uh, perhaps at that time thinking, okay, I, I, I love this. I wish I could teach it. But then you began to realize, wait a minute, I can, I can use this in my interactions. And then you went into a church that, uh, was unhealthy and it became a good tool that was used. It became more personal. This could be, I think this is an encouragement for pastors. I think we all begin our preaching career or ministry uh, excited about what we're teaching. As we get older, it becomes more personal. It becomes more integrated into our, our relational life, our communal life with people. And, and that's the way it should be. And I think the, uh, and for example, I, uh, I, um, I use the Beatitudes now and, and your book was helpful to encourage me to do that more. I do a lot of counseling, whether it's people in ministry or just people locally, marriage and family uh, counseling as well. And um, I, I love at some point to just work through the Beatitudes with them because this draws them to Christ. It draws them to 
what the gospel looks like in your life. And, and so I, I'm hearing you say the same thing, and that's, that's yes, exciting. It's that's really right. Encouraging. And we developed a counseling ministry in the, that church. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I trained others to be counselors. And like Moses, I delegated some of the easier, uh, you know, issues that people were dealing with. And I took the hard ones. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. You know, and, you know, for instance, when I was a superintendent, one of the things I learned that came out of the Beatitudes is that you need to deal with attitudes, but you discipline actions. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn that the hard way in a church that was disciplining a person because of what they perceived to be wrong attitudes. Now, wrong attitudes will, you know, surely lead to wrong actions. Uh, but so, so you deal with attitudes. You don't sweep them under the rug. Uh, you uh, lovingly confront people dealing with that, but you don't discipline attitudes. Mm-hmm. You you discipline actions. And uh, I, I wasn't taught that in mm. my training. I, I, I just I learned that from uh, just keep on living and living the Beatitudes and uh, so it, yeah, it does come out in practical everyday life. And one of the things yes. I hope happens in the book is that people see that every day mm-hmm. uh, there's a challenge to live the Beatitudes. Well, yeah. And even, uh, and interestingly, uh, let me say two things here before we, we move more into the content. First of all, this is the first podcast I've done that's uh, a, uh, has has a stronger kind of a theological uh, way to it. Uh, usually I'm, I'm discussing topics this time we're, uh, and I'm excited about doing this. We're actually talking about a, uh, a theological or doctrinal category here. Uh, so I, I hope people will not be turned off. I can't imagine anybody would, because this is going to be a, a practical conversation, uh, about, uh, how to frame. I love the work, the word you use was a, a framework for discipleship and, I remember once when you and I were talking, I, I referred to it as a template of discipleship yes. for discipleship. And I like that word. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, very and, helpful. And, uh, yeah, and, and then um, uh, secondly, I think it's just so uh, so valuable, at, and, and then we, we can go ahead and segue into, into the content. There's actually a couple, couple more intro things I think will be important to understand the value, the weight of, of the Beatitudes. By the way, it's found in Matthew 5. Uh, uh, I'm sure people will, will know that. Uh, but you can practice each of the Beatitudes. You know, I mean, imagine that as you're absorbed in the life of the Beatitudes, which is a really, I think, primarily a description of Christ himself. And you think about him being meek and you're right. dealing with some things during the day where being meek is not your impulse reaction. But you're thinking about Jesus and how he was meek. And you think, well, you know, today I'm a practice being meek. I think that's where it really comes down to right. uh, a, a lifestyle, uh, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. And it's true of every one of these uh, eight basic attitudes. Uh, that, that, that's a, a description of mm-hmm. the mind of Christ. That's how he thought. And out of those thought patterns came his actions that demonstrated uh, the attitude of humility, the attitude of meekness, the uh, whole idea of being a peacemaker, the idea of being having a forgiving spirit, uh, you know, all of that is uh, 
there in the life of Christ. He's our mm-hmm. supreme example. Yes, and he empowers us as well by his Holy Spirit. Uh, you write that uh, you, you believe that we can outline all the Bible teaches about uh, sorry, let me emphasize that a little bit better. You, that we can outline all that the Bible teaches under these eight beatitudes. Um, so you're really saying there that the beatitudes are, in a way, a summary of the entire message of the gospel of the scriptures. Uh, yeah, I guess I am. Uh, I uh, I have been saying this for a number of years now, and I've had nobody. Uh, get in my face and uh, contradict me. Uh, I, this is something that I, I don't know that I could, you know, prove logically. Um, but I, I sort of like being in a position where I'm taking a, you know, a stance that uh, maybe I can't prove, but you can't prove me wrong either. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Uh, uh, yeah, but I, I look that uh, you know there's a a list of the characteristics of love there's a, the fruit of the spirit uh, there's qualifications for church leaders there's a number of places where there's a, you know even a short list of different characteristics that need to be in the life of a believer mm-hmm. and, and uh, so far uh, I I I'm still persuaded that Jesus gave us uh, an eight-point outline, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, uh, you know, I'm not talking about what a Christian does. I'm talking about what a Christian is, how he thinks, what his basic attitudes are. Uh, I remember my first church I had the privilege of pastoring. I preached a message one Sunday morning and titled it, the ninth beatitude. I, I look back on that now and I cringe. I mean, what's uh-huh. a young whippersnapper of a mm. pastor doing, trying to say that Jesus didn't, uh, didn't have it all together. And mm. I added something, but what I was, the message was, uh, gratitude is the attitude. And, uh, gratitude is for me a basic, uh, it's a basic attitude. But I now see it under the the first beatitude. Uh, if you are really understanding what it is to be poor in spirit, uh, a beggar after a crust of bread, and the fact that the Bible says we don't have anything but what we have received, then the only logical, uh, possible response is an attitude of gratitude. So uh, it wasn't the ninth beatitude. It was, uh, you know, Roman numeral three, maybe, under the first beatitude. Uh, so that's the, that, that's the spirit in which I'm saying you can outline all that the Bible teaches that we are to be uh, under the, these eight uh, headings. Yes. It, yeah, it's and- just been a thing that's helped me that's all yeah no and i think you're right and again if uh, uh one of the things i i pray for and in in a marvelous way the lord has answered this prayer i think because i'm in a different context now and doing something different i i it's not been as uh uh as um uh, as possible here but uh i in some fashion or, or or some fashion i am doing this but i've always prayed that i i can 
Lord will lead me to one person I can disciple at least once a year. And I've always taken them through things. You know, last guy I took them through the, uh, uh, the book uh, by, J- I think it was John Cross, The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, which is a wonderful overview of the entire scripture. Uh, but the next opportunity I have to dis- disciple a new believer or, or someone who's, you know, cons- uh, really searching and seeking uh, is to take them through uh, the, uh, the, the Beatitudes. And I think your book, by the way, is, is a perfect resource to use, uh, because it does, it does describe it very, very clearly and, uh, and doesn't get off track if you don't mind me putting it that way. Uh, and it's very gospel centered, you know, and, and if you want to be happy, which is what blessed, you know, each one starts with, uh, the word sure. blessed and it does mean happy. Uh, oh, the gladness of, I think is the Hebrew translation. It's shalom, it's peace. People are looking for peace. People are looking for uh, how to be happy. And uh, this is an inner satisfaction, a, a, a deep uh, internal joy, a, a realization that, uh, that we are saved, that we came poor, we brought nothing. And he gave us this gift of, of salvation, forgiveness of sins. And, uh, and to be poor in spirit, as you said, is to come with nothing. Um, I, I quote, uh, I've got a quote here. I um, actually wrote down that you write um, about the poverty, uh, you know, being poor in spirit. This is, this is phenomenal what you write here. It is something more intense than an impulse to have a mid-morning snack. It is a deep, strong, ardent, all-consuming craving for food and water. Those hunger pangs are so sharp that you don't want food and a promotion at work or food and a new car or food, and something else. The only thoughts are your, uh, on your mind is satisfying that hunger and that thirst. And this is also in reference to the uh, third beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, uh, they shall be filled or satisfied. Uh, your, your comment on that? Uh, that happens... Uh, as a result of being born again. When you're born physically, born the first time, uh, one of the first signs of life is a cry for food. Uh, And so as a newborn babe, spiritually, uh, you desire the sincere milk of the word. Uh, So that uh, that kind of hunger and thirst after righteousness uh, is a sign of spiritual life when a person is born again. Some writers uh, on the Beatitudes have actually suggested that that's, that's the Beatitude that we ought to start with. Uh, and I'm saying in, in the book, uh, that's kind of like saying to a corpse, uh, be hungry and thirsty. Well, mm, dead people are not. And the Bible says that uh, we are dead in trespasses and sins before we come to Christ. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are made partaker of divine nature. We're made new creatures in Christ. Christ lives his life in us. We're alive spiritually. We're 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 born again and have eternal life that and, and eternal life is not just about duration 
It's about a new kind of life. It's God's life in us. And when that happens and uh, we're justified, there's a place, I think, in that same chapter where I talk about salvation as a legal transaction, which takes place in heaven. God declares us to be justified, Mm -hmm. for instance. So there's a legal transaction, but there's also a life transmission. And uh, God, you know, pours his love into us. We we receive his nature. Uh, There's a whole new kind of life now living in me. And so it has new desires and new appetites and new hungers and new thirsts. And now it's after righteousness. And so, uh, you know, instead of being filled with apathy and indifference and uh, uh, hesitation, uh, no, now there's a hunger, there's a desire. Uh, I'm actively pursuing God. Uh, And uh, that's what I think that particular beatitude is all about. And when you become when you are born again, you, uh, to some degree, somehow, some way, not all going to be the same, but uh, there, there is a new desire, a new appetite inside of me now. Uh, I want God. I want righteousness. And I'm hungry for the word. And I'm, uh, I, I, I want communion with God. I, I want to learn how to pray. So my life is turned upside down. It's changed. Yeah, yeah. And the focal point, uh, and I've got a question here. It it comes out of a uh, an angst on my part, a burden. Uh, But the you know the the notion of of seeing hunger and thirst for righteousness as as where we should start. And I, I love your explanation of trying to get a corpse to. Uh, to eat uh, as as crude as that is it's vivid um, that I and this this is the question do you do you feel are you observing that, um, that there's a, there's a de-emphasis of uh, that element of preaching the gospel of uh, maybe even a pastor who assumes everybody's a Christian and doesn't enough times, uh, proclaim the gospel, uh, or as Jesus says, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that is the heart of the Great Commission, that message, uh, that call to to repentance and confession, and receive that, uh, you know, what uh, we, we refer to as the imputed righteousness of Christ. Is, is, his righteousness is imputed to us. Our sin is imputed to him. Um, are you are you seeing that uh, as you observe what's happening in the church that we're kind of skipping that part of it and that does fit with why we need to start with that uh, poor in spirit as we study the Beatitudes? Uh, yes, I, I am. I, I I I think I'm saying the same thing you're saying when. When I feel like the uh, emphasis is too much on the side of what I call the legal transaction mm-hmm. part, I, I think people are willing to, preachers are willing to teach uh, the idea of 
justification and even imputed righteousness if we're going to get theological here. But there's very little emphasis on the impartation of righteousness. Mm -hmm. There's a a willingness to say, okay, God has, uh, I I prayed the sinner's prayer and God has written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life and God has taken the sins that I've committed and they're on my record in heaven. He's expunged that record and in place of that, he's put the righteousness of Christ. All of that, they're willing to accept all of that, but don't expect any change in my life. Don't expect me to, to, you know, to be old things pass away and all things become new. Don't, don't expect me to, to live any differently than I lived before. And so there's, to me, there's not enough emphasis on the, what I would call the Christ life in me or the Holy Spirit living in my body, which is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's little emphasis on what it means to become a partaker of divine nature and this miracle of the new birth so that my life is changed. Uh, I'm not changing it. It's not reformation. It's transformation. But it's a work of God's grace in my life that uh, shows up in my lifestyle and my thought patterns uh, my uh, attitudes as well as my actions, there's a change. Uh, that's where I think, uh, uh, at least in the Western evangelical Christianity, uh, we're, we're missing that emphasis on uh, new life in Christ. And, yeah, and, what it yeah. and, and again, people live. are looking for happiness. They're looking for satisfaction. Yeah. And I think the the wonderful uh, offering here for the pastor who's preaching, for the leadership who wants the pastor to be uh, effective and and committed to his preaching, is that if people are going to be uh, followers of Christ and and if they're going to be happy people, uh, it they're happy because of the gospel, not just that they're saved, but look at this transformation. Yeah. I love what yeah, you say again. Right. It's not just imputed righteousness; it's also imparted righteousness. Right. Uh, and it's imp- and it and there's an outcome there. You know, it's imparted in the sense that we're uh, we're meek around people who are mean and ugly and and vindictive and vengeful. We're the opposite of that, just like Christ was. Yeah. We're also peacemakers. Uh, we are merciful. Uh, you know, we, we receive mercy ourselves. We become merciful people, you know, like the uh, Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who, yeah, who right. sin against us. Right. Now, let, let's, uh, um, again, I love, I love the, the way we're approaching this here. Uh, you, you, you know, and I think this is commonly believed that there's a progression here, uh, that each beatitude follows the one before but also each beatitude depends on each other that you can't, you, uh, you cannot take any of them out. I, I listened to John MacArthur recently and uh, he said, you can't remove any of the beatitudes. If you take one out, the whole thing falls apart. Um, and you use two images I like of a pyramid, uh, but also a spiral staircase. Uh, expand on that a little bit and why that's important to see it that way. Well, I do see a progression and, uh, 
for instance, if you uh, overlook or omit the first uh, <clears throat> beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, uh, that's, the, that's the base of the pyramid. That's the foundation. And if you bypass that, uh, you know, you, you can't go on to the other. Uh, yeah, you can't start at being rejoicing when you're insulted, which verse 9 and 10 yeah. talk about. And, yeah, and, uh, right. and you yeah. can't start being merciful to people that you have a hard time with unless you start with step number one. That's right. And so the spiral, uh, you know, uh, spiral staircase, so you get up to the second floor. Um, well, what do you do there? You don't stop. You keep on going. And so there's another, another layer, another level of living the Beatitudes. And so it keeps on going until mm -hmm. you get to heaven. Uh, I think the pyramid uh, for me, the pinnacle of living the Beatitudes is found in uh, rejoicing when persecuted. Uh, I mean, natural people, uh, people with uh, religions of the world uh, can suffer persecution. But, uh, you know, you can be a martyr. Uh, there are lots of martyrs for lots of different causes. But to be able to rejoice mm -hmm. when being persecuted, that's a supernatural thing. That's an yeah, evidence yeah. of the life of God in me. And to me, that's the pinnacle uh, yeah. of, of living the Beatitude. Yeah, the, the martyr, the Muslim martyr does it out of a sense of duty uh, or obligation or guarantee for salvation. There's no joy in that. That's right. uh, that's right. There's certainly no joy afterwards. You know, there's there's no doubt disappointment, but, uh, but yeah. Um, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, which of the Beatitudes have been most significant in your own life? Oh, wow. Um, I think I'd have to say, um, well, it's a toss up between meekness and mercy. Mm -hmm. um, mm. I think those two, uh, I have probably done the most uh, original writing in the book. Um, and I don't mean that in a boastful kind of way at all, because I, you know, I read extensively. Uh, I realize there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, I tried to be very careful to, uh, you know, give credit where credit was due to others, but there was a, a, a lot of places where uh, this was all very real in my life. It's something God has worked into my life, and there were all kinds of resources that fed into that, and uh, I heard something, and it impacted my life to the point where I don't even remember when I heard it, who's or who said it, but it's real in me. And mm. that's what I mean by uh, those two. Uh, but learning the significance and the depth and the reality of what it means to be merciful 
uh, and as I went through that, and even in that chapter, I'm saying at the center of all of that is this idea of having a forgiving spirit. Mm-hmm. And for me, the uh, the ultimate goal when somebody does something wrong to me, it's wrong, and I've been hurt. Uh, the the ultimate goal, and this is not easy, and doesn't happen maybe overnight. But the goal is to respond to that person now after the offense, just like I responded before the offense occurred. So that happened is wonderful. Two, mm. happened two weeks ago. Uh, I, I need to get back to the place where regardless of what he says or does, and maybe he keeps on hurting me. But I, my, my desire is to respond to him and relate to him. Uh, like I did four weeks ago, and it's not just the it's not just the out the outcome, um, but also the evidence that, and that's why we rejoice. You know, we find ourselves, uh, uh, yeah, we have to work at it. But then I think there's the surprise that wow, the Holy Spirit is giving us a love yeah. person, and I'm yeah, actually right. praying for his business to be blessed rather than. Yeah hope that there's exactly. a fire that destroys it. Uh, that's the blessed. Uh, we're happy. We're thrilled. Wow, this is so counter this world. It's so opposite of, uh, of the way people are. Uh, in, I mean, we see this in politics today, you know, trying to beat down the oh. other person. And um, I was thinking about this, you know, the, during elections, you know, you hear about people doing opposition research. And they try to find as much dirt as they can for the opponents. Yeah. And I was thinking that, that Jesus has the most dirt on us than, than anyone ever could. He does. And he doesn't he does. use that against us. In fa- and instead, he, he allowed that, to, uh, uh, that filth, that sinfulness, what condemns us to be placed upon himself. And when we think about that, this is why I think the word happy and blessed is so exciting to me. When I, when I think about this, it excites me. You know, I, I often tell people that happy people are people who think gospel, uh, who right. are constantly right. reflecting daily. And one of the ways to do that, and I believe essentially uh, the way to do it is to, is to repent daily, to be reminded that we're sinners, but we're forgiven. And, uh, and, and also we need to be in the word. Uh, I mean, not in a legalistic way, but... Uh, if we're going to think gospel, we need to be reflecting a lot on, on Christ, uh, looking at his life, reading about him, thinking about him, reflecting on what he was like, and meditating on his characters. Uh, that, that's, that's how the gospel makes us, <clears throat> makes us happy people. Um, if you were to ask me uh, which of the Beatitudes has been most significant, I, I would say it's the one who, that mourns. Uh, I've, I've been uh, just conscious of the fact in my life that one of the, the evidences of, um, you know, reflecting on the gospel is just a deep burden uh, for, uh, you know, I think, I, and again, there's a, there's a progression here. Someone who's poor in spirit is overwhelmed by his own sin, realizes he brings nothing to God. Uh, he mourns what he sees in himself. Also, he mourns what uh, he sees around him. And um, I'm constantly grieved by what I see in my own heart. And uh, that also makes me grieve what I see uh, around others. You, you, make, you write under mourning, sensitive uh, spirit 
uh, that is like the heart of Jesus. I love that. He was very sensitive. Um, and then the outcome of that is it, it affects your character. You're, you find yourself being meek like Christ was. How, how would you define meekness today or any day? <laughs> well, uh, to jump right into the heart of it, I, I, it's, there are a number of times in the book where I find that the best way to describe what something is is to describe what it's not. And that would be especially true of meekness. I, I, bottom line, and there's a whole series of steps I take to get there, but the bottom line is that I see meekness as the opposite of demanding or uh, demanding my right to demand my rights. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I'm choosing the words carefully, but it has to do with expectations uh, people have expectations of God and expectations of others that are not realistic, but you can easily make somebody else a prisoner of your expectations and you get all upset and out of shape and angry uh, when your expectations are, are, are not met, when you think you have personal rights uh, and, uh, Coming to the place where I yield, uh, you know, totally yield, uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, present my body uh, as an instrument of righteousness. I, mm -hmm. I'm totally yielded to God, and I, I yield to him those personal rights. My expectations are from God alone. So there's a, a, an absence in my heart and mind of demanding my personal rights. Uh, Jesus, and this is Philippians 2, uh, even though he was God, he did not uh, grasp, he did not demand his rights of deity. He gave all of that, the use of his, he didn't, he was still deity, but he, he didn't demand his right to, uh, to live. He didn't demand his right to die uh, or not die. He, he didn't demand his right to die with dignity. Uh, he, he gave all of that up. Uh, he, he gave the, uh, to his father the right to use the, the powers of his deity. And so we come to a place where we are totally yielded to God and we don't demand our rights. I mean, we're living in a culture that is very strong on demanding your rights mm -hmm. and uh, overlook your responsibility. Yeah, that that's really good. Yeah, but and and the gospel. Yeah, the gospel, the Christian life, is assuming responsibility and yielding personal rights to God. Yeah, you yield yeah. them to God. You don't yield them to anybody else, but you yield them to God and you trust him to work in your life. Yeah. And, and even deferring responsibility. Oh, uh, yeah, another he, way of saying it. Yes. Yeah. He is Good. just. He yeah. Is, yeah. And, and I, I think the, you know, meekness is in, in, inherently, inherently in the, in the character of God. He, uh, yes. he, 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 he could condemn us. He could pour out his wrath on us, but instead he died for us. And I could lash out at that person who did something, but instead I love them. So it flows out of the character of God, doesn't it? Right. 
That's right. Really yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, with each that's what it means to be a partaker of divine nature. Yes. God's yes. life is in me. Paul said, yeah. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. It's mm-hmm. Christ who lives in me. Uh, now, what's that look like? Well, it looks like the meekness of Christ. He mm-hmm. said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and this is where an example of, uh, of co- sorry to interrupt you, uh, in okay. counseling, uh, I'll talk about, you know, if, if a couple are fighting at each other, we'll talk about meekness. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What did it yeah. look like in the life of Christ? And, and right. we're, you know right. what, you'll be blessed if you're going to be right. happy if you practice this in, in yeah. your marriage. And, and each of these Beatitudes have an outcome or a reward in this case is they will inherit the earth. Yeah. Uh, how do you understand it, that? So it says, blessed well, are the, meek, inherit, blessed inherit, the yeah, inherit the earth is totally different than going out there and fighting for it and demanding it as a right. Hmm. Uh, see, it, it, it's the opposite. Hmm. So I inherit. It's given to me. I, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I, that, that goes back to humility. I, I, I'm a beggar after a crust of bread, and I don't deserve the least of his favor. I am absolutely dependent upon God. I submit my will to his will. Uh, uh, you know, that's the attitude of humility. But now meekness comes on, and I think it's a level deeper. Uh, but I, I'm, uh, I, 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 I don't see my life as a life of, uh, uh, you know, using whatever power I have to get what I want and demand my rights and uh, my expectations need to be fulfilled. No, there's none of that going on in my mind. My, my attitude is one of yielding all of that right and that, you know, human power and yeah, uh, and all of could those you things say Could you say maybe it is in your mind, but you're choosing not to act on that and and out of obedience. I mean, sometimes we're, it's going to even be a counter to our own flesh, you know, and, um, well, it is, and that's the struggle, but there is, we we haven't gotten to the idea of the whole idea of let this mind be in Mm -hmm. you, which was also in Christ. I, you know, I'm old enough so that, you know, growing up in a Christian home, we, you know, I, I memorized from the King James version. Mm-hmm. And I still remember the day when I read, uh, you know, uh, Philippians chapter two out of the NIV. Mm-hmm. The, you know, this added this attitude. attitude should be in yeah. you, which was also in Christ. So I, I got to study the whole idea of mind and and attitude, and that's mm-hmm. basic to, you know, it's underneath all that I wrote in the book about the Beatitudes. Uh, so th- we have the mind of Christ. If we're born again and have divine nature in us, uh, another way of saying that is that we have the mind of Christ. And so we need to think like he thinks. And that mind is not you know, simply a, a fleeting thought that happens to go through our brain. It, it's, a, it's a thought pattern. Uh, it, it's a mindset. Uh, so it's a basic attitude uh, that I have. Uh, I, I don't. I I've yielded my personal rights to God. 
I I don't have. I mean, as a Christian, I don't have any rights. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. And so again, it's the, the, it's defer, deferring yeah, the justice to God. Yeah, let him yeah, yeah sure. I don't I, have I, a right you know, to get even. Yeah, yeah. You can go on and on with that. Yeah, but yeah. the idea of having that kind of mind set mm-hmm. uh, is really what the Beatitudes are about. Yeah, in my yeah I love it. Uh, the The final thing maybe to talk about here, because I think this is the most critical in, in church community is, is merciful. Uh, if, you know, I, I long for leaders to model mercy and, and for the pastor to, uh, you know, what, what often happens uh, in, in a church is when people are not merciful, there's conflict. And you, uh, you seem to indicate here that the opposite of merciful is bitterness. Uh, that that's the root. In fact, you use the image of a weed with a bitter root. If the weed, if the root's bitter, then everything that grows is going to be bitter. Um, you, I think this is a quote from you. The bitter spirit soon grows into a serious blame game that leads to gathering as many people as possible on their side against the offender. Uh, I'm sure you've seen that in churches, right? And how how have you seen coaching or leading towards mercy being uh, the way through this? you know, human fleshly tendency that shows up in, in the church. Well, that's part of the, you know, how this got into our whole counseling ministry, uh, because bitterness is, uh, sadly, uh, a dominant feature of our modern day culture. Uh, the, the idea of, uh, Blaming others rather than assuming responsibility for my part and what happened. Uh, letting a you know a, a little molehill become a, a mountain uh, in, in my thought life. Uh, retaliation, resentment, uh, all of those. I mean, that's where war comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so uh, I think it's a very, very basic part of our culture. Uh, and uh, there's a bitterness uh, that's deep-seated and, and rooted uh, in the lives of people living uh, naturally in our, in our culture. And the, the subject of mercy is a huge subject. And it's one of the attributes of God that, He's, you know, communicating to us. There are communicable attributes and attributes. Uh, so we need to, uh, you know, uh, I think part of the problem today is we want to be like God in areas that he alone, I mean, he alone is ultimately sovereign. He, he alone is uh, self-sufficient and all the other non-communicable attributes. We want to be like God in those ways, and we don't want to be like God in the attributes. That yeah, he particularly has. in the area of justice. Um, yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah, we want to see wrong made right and yeah. take things in our own hands. I, I think you quoted this too. I think I've heard this before too. That uh, that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. It doesn't happen. So I, I think uh, trying to help people through that mm-hmm. is to understand, first of all, how much God has forgiven us and look at the example of Jesus uh, on the cross. Uh, 
and and then you know go to Ephesians four and help people to understand how much they've been forgiven, and that's why we need to be forgiving of others. Lord's Prayer, same thing, uh, and and then just go through the you know the process. I I have a, I think a, pretty much of a page in the book of steps to take in terms of thinking through what my attitude needs to be toward somebody who yeah. is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course the outcome of this, the, the, the next beatitude is you, you, you find that you're, you're thrilled that the, your heart is pure, you know, blessed are those who are poor, uh, pure in spirits. And uh, of course we, we got to remember that this purity is not out of our own, obtainment that this has been i picture the priest in the old testament sprinkling blood uh that has been brought by the sinner you know on the sinner uh, a, a substitute was provided that blood was sprinkled to declare you clean you know christ's blood sprinkled on us is what has made us pure uh, i think you touch on this that there's a difference between being perfect and blameless that we can be blameless and not perfect and that blamelessness is more uh, how God views us as uh, yeah. as blameless because of what Christ has done. So a lot of, a lot of this uh, again. The the purpose here is not just to have a conversation around a scripture, but to really appeal to the pastor, church leaders, people who love the church that the Beatitudes is a is a wonderful uh, framework template for discipleship for healthy church community. Uh, for individual well-being, for marriage, um, you know, we again. There's a progression here. I love how someone described this as like in a in a uh, like American Gladiators, where they have to start from the beginning by grabbing on uh, you know loops or hoops and or loops rather handles that they move from one stage to the other. That you don't start way down the obstacle course. You start in the very beginning. So you don't grab the peacemaker loop first first off. You know, you, you have to start with being poor in spirits and you wake work your way through that. So this is a this is a great tool also for personal spiritual assessment, which it certainly has been the case uh for my own life. Um any any final words here as we wrap up? We've had a, a wonderful hour conversation and I, I have loved it. Well, I think, you know, you've talked about the idea of progression. So we start with humility, uh, but that brings us then to, uh, 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 like you said, seeing ourselves as we really are before God. And there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance mm. that then brings salvation. So a person who is saved has come to a place of repentance. But before repentance, there's a godly sorrow. And that's what I, I think is emphasized in the second beatitude. And then you couple those two with the third one, which is meekness and yielding myself totally to God, Romans 12, one and two. Put those three together as a prerequisite to salvation. But then go back and use those same three on an ongoing, progressive way as I grow and progress in my uh, 
walk with God, then the first thing is a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, I, I, I go on, uh, you know, there's righteousness. It's interesting to me. The next one is mercy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you, you can't have real mercy without righteousness. Uh, the, the, the sin question has to be resolved and God has resolved it by placing the punishment for my sin on his son on the cross at Calvary. Uh, so God is just and the justifier of them that believe. He's righteous, but he's also merciful because of what Jesus did. He's not merciful in the sense that he just simply blinks and uh, ignores the idea of sin and shoves it under the rug. He can't do that. He's holy. But he can be merciful because of what happened at Calvary. And, and you just walk through uh, each of the rest of the Beatitudes. But I want to also emphasize that getting up the spiral stairway, you're up at the second floor now. Uh, that doesn't mean that the, the same progression, uh, the same sequence uh, needs to happen uh, every time we go through a, a, you know, a new level of living the Beatitudes in our own life. Uh, there's an interplay, an interaction with all eight of these basic attitudes. So the, there's not necessarily, you know, okay, God dealt with me and this happened just since you and I have been talking about this with, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, God took me into a deeper level of what it means to be, uh, you know, mourn and hmm. have a tender heart. Uh, hmm. uh, hard and calloused and, and mm. God you know really came into uh, my experience in that area and uh, there's a tenderness now that uh, I didn't have before mm. uh, I mean I, I'm just I, I'm, I'm 83 years old but I'm still learning and still growing and I think that's God's plan for us until he takes us home he wants us to keep growing in becoming more and more like Jesus. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, but we're changed into that image, into his image. Uh, from glory to glory, there, there's, a, there's a movement, there's a progression. And that's all done by the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Amen. Uh, that's wonderful. So, yeah, and Each I think of these the attitudes are part of that. Yeah, and and re inheriting the earth uh, can be seen as uh, you know waiting, putting up with things, mm -hmm. uh, being patient, uh, being you know being godly as we wait for Him to come and establish His kingdom yeah. once for all. That's yeah. the inheriting yeah. of that. It, we we right. have so much to look forward to, and we have reason to right. be happy. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what these Beatitudes wonderful. is all about. Uh, John, this has been wonderful. I, I'm, you know, picturing hopefully that even some small groups might play this and and do a study on the Beatitudes. I was thinking, too, that you could probably, I think you could find a parable that Jesus gives that fits specifically each of the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, that can be Good a way to, to expand this yeah. study. So uh, thank you so much. You did a wonderful job communicating this, and we, 
we jumped all over the place, but managed to get through all the notes that we had, I think. <laughs> well, the deepest passion of my heart is to somehow be used by God to help people become more and more like Jesus. Mm. I, I, I see Wonderful. myself as joining God, mm -hmm. uh, Henry Blackaby's uh, idea of joining God. I'm joining God in his purpose for every believer's life, and that is to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's what he's doing, and that's what he will do and uh, like you said earlier, uh, you know, this will be consummated when the Lord comes and we see him and we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And that's the hope of the Christian. Yeah. Hey, wonderful way to end, John. Thank you so much. Lord bless you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And also check out the website, www.beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.